Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, hello and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Clark and Cannon tēnei. Aotearoa has more than its fair share of threatened species. And one of the most well-known is the kākāpō, our very own giant flightless parrot. Now, Alison Balance is one of the bird's biggest fans. Back in 2019, she produced a long-running podcast series for RNZ called The Kākāpō Files, following the roller coaster ride of that year's bumper breeding season. It's been very quiet on the Kākāpō front for the last two years, but this year is another big one for the bird. To find out how it's all going, Alison joins the Department of Conservation team in remote Fjordland. Her journey starts in Invercargill. So we're at the beginning of a great adventure and we are leaving Invercargill. Where have we been? We have been at the uh, Southern Quarantine facility. So we're all prepped. Our clothes are free of seeds. There are no stowaways in our baggage. No hitchhikers. And there's you and me in the car driving to Manapori. But we have a very important passenger in the back seat. Who's that? The passenger today is Boomer. She's been up at the uh, Auckland Zoo. She was a bit poorly, but um, she's feeling better now and ready to go home. So do we have to do anything like keep the air conditioning on while we travel? Yeah, we'll keep the air conditioning on. We'll keep her cage nice and dark so she can have a sleep. Hopefully she's comfortable. She's got a few snacks in there. She's got some almonds and some apple. Oh, excellent. Her lunch sounds better than mine. (laughs) Okay, time to go. I'm with Doc Kakapo Ranger Michael Mitchell, and our very special passenger, Boomer, is a 23-year-old female kakapo. For a flightless bird, she's spending a lot of time in the air today. An Air New Zealand flight from Auckland in Invercargill, this drive up to Manapori, and a helicopter ride out to Pukenui, Anchor Island, at the entrance of Dusky Sound. Pukenui, along with Fenuaho Codfish Island near Rakiora Stewart Island, are the main kākāpō breeding islands, and this year they're very busy. The last time they were busy was 2019, as Andrew Digby, the Kākāpō Recovery Programme scientist, remembers. So 2019 was the biggest kākāpō breeding season that we had on record. We ended up with 72 chicks surviving through the fledging um, out of 252 eggs, which was by far bigger than any other breeding season we had before. How did you end up with so many eggs? Because that is significantly more than you've had before. It is, and one of the main reasons is is because we ended up double-clutching a lot of the females. So that's when we shut down the first nest that a female has and force her to re-nest. She mates again quite soon afterwards, lays some eggs very quite soon after that, and so we end up with two clutches from her. So whereas we might have had three or four, we in some cases end up with eight eggs per female. And that produced, I think, around about 28 extra chicks that year. After that 2019 baby boom, the kākāpō population briefly reached 213 birds, which is pretty incredible, 
given that when I first got involved with kākāpō back in the mid-1990s, there were just 51 birds. There have been a few deaths in the last three years, which meant that this breeding season has kicked off with 201 birds. Deirdre Verko manages Doc's kākāpō recovery programme. She says the irregular and infrequent kākāpō breeding is linked to the flowering and fruiting of podocarp trees such as rimu. The rimu acts as an early warning system for her and the team. So we climb the rimu trees in March and November each year and the March count gives us a year's warning really about whether or not kākāpō are expected to breed. Basically if there are a lot of rimu fruit developing on the trees we can expect the birds to breed and that was the case uh, in March last year. We counted the trees and found a whopping great amount of rimu on both Ho and Anka and Takakahu, which is one of our new breeding sites. So that was pretty exciting. We knew we had a significant breeding event ahead of us. That prediction was spot on. At the start of the season, there were 57 females of breeding age on the three southern Kākāpō islands. 46 of those have bred this year, laying a grand total of 139 eggs. By autumn, when I visit, there are 57 chicks across three islands. But it's becoming clear that I've arrived at a bit of a turning point in the breeding season. My expectations were that we would have quite a challenging breeding season ahead of us, mainly due to COVID. And that has been the case. It has been quite a juggle with staff and trying to make sure we don't get COVID on any of our Kākāpō islands. But actually we've managed to get through that relatively unscathed. It's been a really positive breeding season, but it is just starting to feel like it's unravelling slightly due to the concern around aspergillosis. Yeah, so aspergillosis is a fungal pneumonia which is particularly deadly in birds. It affects a lot of species, it infects humans, but it's really bad in birds, particularly birds in captivity or those in confined environments. And in 2019, we had it in nesting kākāpō on Fenuaho, and we lost nine kākāpō that year. 21 individuals were affected. It was all mothers and their chicks. We lost seven chicks and two adult females. We would have lost a lot more was it not for the intervention and amazing help of a lot of vet teams around the country. We ended up flying, I think, 49 birds off the island. Most of those were CT scanned because that's the only real way that you can detect aspergillosis in in kākāpō. And they responded very well to treatment. So that was a huge effort. Some of those birds spent about nine months in hospital. That was the longest. So it was a it was a massive sort of blow at the end of that breeding season and it really sort of meant that we ended up hand rearing a lot more birds than we would have done. We did quite a bit of research to understand aspergillosis in Kākāpō but we were still crossing our fingers a little bit this year about whether it would crop up again and unfortunately it has this time on Pukanui and it hasn't happened so far on Ho, so that's a bit of a puzzle. Aspergillosis is why Boomer was travelling with us to the island. She'd been sent off for a vet check. This followed the death of adult female Gemma from the fungal disease. Her two chicks remain in hospital for treatment. Boomer was a little bit of a precaution. Um, We'd just had Gemma die. Boomer's chick in her nest took a bit of a dive in in weight gain and it wasn't doing so well, levelled off. We got a bit nervous about that and Boomer showed a little bit of odd activity in her nest attendance as well. So as a precaution, we flew Boomer and her chick, Boomer A2, off the island and we got them CT scanned. And fortunately, they were both given the all clear, so they didn't have aspergillosis. That was at the stage where we were quite nervous and, you know, we were thinking we may have had another case. So it was great that they were given the all clear and Boomer has been released back into the island. Unfortunately, she 
couldn't be released back into her nest. It was too long that she was off the nest, so she's no longer nesting. Her chick is doing quite well, and we're hoping we might be able to get her chick back into her nest if we can. So what was Boomer like when you released her? It was pretty cool to see, actually, because I sort of know the environment that they're in in hospital and the vets and hospitals obviously do an amazing job of looking after them, but it's not the forest, you know, it's not where they naturally are. And it was Boomer just slowly walked out of the catch bag when I released her and hung around me for a little while and then just slowly walked off into the forest. So, it's yeah, it's always such a special moment to release a kakapo. Although Boomer no longer has a nest and chick, there are still plenty of other chicks on the island that are having regular health checks. These are carried out at night, when the mums are away from the nest, feeding on rimu fruit. The rangers head out at dusk to reach the nests that they're going to check on. Back at base, volunteer Inhiki is on radio duty, watching a sophisticated piece of software called the train station. These chimes are the ding-dongs, and they announce arrivals and departures. Well, this computer screen is telling me which kakapo are in their nest or which, and which kakapos have left their nest. So they're all gone except for two. Who's still there? That's right. There's only two kakapo that have not left their nests, and that's uh, Hinatomai and Jim, which are the kakapo that we really need to leave their nests so we can uh, check on their chicks. It's amazing, though. You, you're sitting down here at the hut and you know exactly what's going on yeah. in all those nests. It's the same technology, basically, when you walk into a store. If the kakapo leaves the nest, we hear ding-dong, and I can radio the rangers who are just outside the nest, uh, ready to grab the chicks so they can do health checks. Oh, I think there might be so much. Please receiving, go ahead, over. Yes, she's still off the nest. I repeat, Evo, he's still off the nest. Over. Cool, thank you. My pleasure. Andrew says that technology to remotely monitor kākāpō is improving every year. Yeah, so the, the technology becomes more and more important as we go on in time. It's something we rely more heavily on. And so the, the base level is every kākāpō has a transmitter. It helps us to find the kākāpō. Um, but not only that, it's got activity sensors in that transmitter as well so every kakapo basically has its own fitbit which is kind of key for us to do a number of things it enables us to monitor the breeding so we can tell if a kakapo is nesting we can tell if it's mated we can also tell if it's if it's ill as well because it's not moving so much and that's one of the things that's really changed since the 2019 breeding season we've extended the data networks which enables us to monitor more kakapo more of the time and we've been able to detect sick kakapo when we haven't been present on the islands necessarily so that's been really key we've detected i think three chloositis cases or this crusty bum disease that we get we detected three of those remotely that last year we've detected a couple of males which have been injured fighting recently so yeah that's that's super super key it's really important in the breeding season but it's becoming more important outside of the breeding season too technology can do a lot but when it comes to plunket checks you still need a person at the nest over on the far side of the island, Deirdre is checking in on Marion's nest. Marion belongs to the Fiordland dynasty. She's descended from Richard Henry, who was the last surviving kākāpō on mainland New Zealand. He was genetically distinct from all the other kākāpō which came from Rakiura, Stewart Island. We are at Marion's nest. Marion's a first-time mum and she produced three chicks this year 
and two of them are still in her nest. One of them's been transferred to Hoturu. But these two are Marion A2 and Marion A3. Look at them, they're so big. They are so big. <laughs> Hello, lovelies. You still haven't grown into your feet. No. Oh, yes, you're very hissy, I know. It's okay. Oh my goodness, this chick is so feisty, it's fantastic. Really biting and kicking. It's great. So you need some more fjordland names for these ones? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Marion is Kuya's daughter, Richard Henry's granddaughter, Richard Henry's great grand chick. 1.71 kilos. So are you worried about these ones? In some way we're worried about all of the chicks in Anchor at the moment, but mm. these ones um, seem to be doing such a great job weight-wise. Deirdre weighs both chicks and gives them a once-over. Then she radios the information back to base, where the nest controller quickly compares the weights to the expected growth rates of an average male or female chick, just to make sure that they're on track. This season there's so much rimu fruit in the forest that most chicks are trending well above average. But if the growth rate slows down, then that could be a sign of trouble. Another symptom of trouble can be when a female changes her pattern of activity, such as spending more time at the nest and less time away feeding. Roha's activity has been causing the team some concern. So Roha is another one that we've been a little bit nervous about. Um, she showed some signs of her nest attendance being a little bit odd. For example, during the day, sometimes she was off the nest. Um, sometimes at night, one night she spent quite a long time on the nest. It's very, very subtle signs, but we were kind of a little bit alert for those sort of signs. Her activity stayed the same. It stayed high, so her sort of activity was good. But we're a little bit nervous just about her nest attendance, and that's the only really sign that we had. And then one of her chicks levelled off in weight a little bit, so she had two chicks, two foster chicks, and we ended up taking one of those away. And then the other chick dived a little bit in weight as well. It just didn't put on as much weight as we thought it was. But then it picked up again, so we thought maybe everything's fine. But the next day, there's some bad news from the vet. Um, well, unfortunately, we got really bad blood results from Roha uh, just a couple of hours ago. So yesterday we bled her, and her white blood cell count's kind of very, very high which indicates that she's suffering from some kind of infection, possibly aspergillosis, which is our biggest fear. So we're just about to go and hopefully get Roha off the nest and pull her chicken and send them off to Dunedin Wildlife Hospital today. Uh, so yeah, um, Scott and Michael are about to go on the Roha and chick mission and Andrew and I are just running up the hill to get a few other bloods from some other females that are currently off their nest. So we'll see how that goes. Rangers Scott and Michael return with birds in hand a short while later. So I take it that's grumpy Roha? Yeah, it is. It is grumpy and sick Roha. So you've just been up the hill, was she in the nest? Yes, yeah, she was in her nest and she's defending it pretty fiercely. Certainly got that feeling that the season's about to change. Maybe... Maybe for the worst, but we'll just do our best. Roha and her chick are medivaced from the island by helicopter, heading to the Dunedin Wildlife Centre for a scan and an aspergillosis diagnosis. Although the threat of aspergillosis has meant an increase in nest checks at the moment, 
Overall, this year is very different from the intense, hands-on management that has marked the past few breeding seasons. Every breeding season, as the population slowly grows, we try and take steps back in terms of our intensity of management. And so that was the plan for 2022, was to take more steps back, um, particularly here on Anchor Island, just take the steps that we could to extend out things like chick checks for example instead of checking each nest nightly or every two nights we would extend that to every four or every seven nights so those kinds of steps we were planning to take and also with the COVID situation in mind uh, we decided that we wouldn't do any double clutching basically we wanted to make the season as run as smoothly as possible and not overcommit ourselves. Typically what we've done in the past is taken eggs out of nests and artificially incubated them and hatched them in an incubation facility. And we've always done that in the past because we've tended to be a little bit more successful at hatching eggs than kakapo. But that's quite intensive. It's quite risky to have all of your eggs in one basket. And so this year we've, st- we've taken a, an approach of leaving more chicks to hatch in nests. And that's actually been working really well with what we've tried to do on on Pukanui and on Penuaho is to have two fertile eggs per female. So there was a bit of shuffling. Some females had infertile clutches, so we had to shuffle them around a bit, a little bit. But the advantage of this is that it's enabled us to have more mothers with their natural chicks, their own chicks, which has been quite cool. So we've got quite a few nests on the island where there's a mother with her two chicks, and some of some sometimes she's had three fertile eggs or even four, and they've gone elsewhere. But that's quite cool, and, and it kind of feels better. We don't know the full benefits of that, but there's certainly some benefits, I think, from chicks hatching in nests in a more natural environment. And looking at the microbiome of kakapo is it's kind of a research area which has been ongoing for a while, and we know there's a definite difference between hand-reared chicks and ones that are raised in nests. So that could be really key. We don't know the full consequences of that, but it could be quite important. So what's it like sitting back and letting a kakapo mum hatch her own egg. It's fantastic. It's hugely rewarding. Um, kakapo conservation is really intensive. I think sometimes it's way too intensive. I mean, we have to do that because the species is critically endangered, but it's lovely to be able to watch them just just do their own thing. And it's been really exciting this year going to a nest and not knowing if you're going to find a chick or not. We've actually been able to do some work with our remote monitoring to look at the female's activity and to estimate when the egg actually has hatched. But it's pretty cool. You go one night and there's an egg and you go the next night and there's a little chick. And in a couple of cases, I've found the chick actually in the process of hatching in the nest, which is, which is amazing. And to see it happen with two chicks in the nest is really cool. Kākāpō management is at its most hands-off on Te Kākahu, Chalky Island, also in Fiordland. Three of the nine females there mated, and although all their eggs were infertile, each mum was given a fertile egg. It's it's a real hands-off island, so we know from our remote monitoring, we know what the females are doing at the nests, we know the females' activity, and I can tell the females' activity on the nest, so I can actually tell that she's feeding a chick and when she's coming and going, and all the patterns look normal, but we're not actually physically looking at those chicks. So we'll go back in a few weeks to see what's happening, and that's actually really exciting. That excites me more than producing more kakapo. It's how we're producing them and being able to do it in a hands-off way, because that really is the future of kakapo, I think. For now... The nesting mums on Pukenui are getting a helping hand in the form of some extra food just in case they're feeling a little peckish. That job falls to volunteers such as Tui. I'm Tui. I work for Meridian Energy and I've been lucky enough to get one of the staff spots to come and volunteer on Pukenui. And I am on my fourth feed-out run today on the track that's aptly named... Ladies of the Lake, which I love. 
That's delightful. So you're in charge of the food, basically, or the extra food. I am, yeah. Uh, Our job is to come and empty out the old food, um, give the feed station a clean, and then um, refill with a pre-weighed amount of um, some very tasty, I've even tried one, um, kākāpō pellets, which are enriched with at this time of year with some flaxseed oil. So, Hoturu, W53 is who we're feeding it out at the moment. Just open up the little hopper here, and to me it looks like it's very similar amount to what we're going to be giving her. So I would I would suggest that this bird isn't using her supplementary feed at all. And that's probably a good thing. It means there's plenty of rimu fruit and other tasty bits in the forest. There certainly is plenty of rimu fruit. And the great news is that it's ripening well on all the islands. Rimu fruit, of course, is very tiny, and the kākāpō mums have to climb high into the canopy of tall trees to find it. About a week after Gemma and Boomer, we also had a ra die. So ra was a breeding female. She had two chicks, and she died very suddenly. And her necropsy results have just come through um, not aspergillosis, Really unsure why she died. Possibly trauma. Possible that she fell out of a fell out of a tree. It really was sudden when the necropsy um, took place. Her crop was full of rimu. Uh, right the way, you know, she just ingested some right the way through into her intestines. It was just jam packed full of rimu. The crop itself, which is where they store the food before they go and feed the chicks, weighed about 250 grams. That's a lot of rimu fruit it's, when you think about it. Rimu fruit is very small. Yes, I know, and it must be so hard for them to collect. And actually a few weeks back, before I died, I remember sitting near her nest and I could hear her jumping around in the trees, flapping, and I remember thinking, wow, these birds are amazing. You know, it's pitch black. I can't see my hand in front of my face. And they're up there 30, 40 metres high in the tops of trees, leaping from branch to branch, and then somehow finding those small rimu berries and stuffing themselves full and then getting back down to the ground and running back to their nest. It's amazing. So I guess maybe it's not out of the question that sometimes something goes wrong and maybe that's what happened with Ra. So that was tragic. Um, But of course we were really, really concerned. Oh no, is this another aspergillosis female? So in a a way it was a bit of a relief that wasn't the cause. Mm. But yeah, we're still very uncertain about things. Ra's death was still a blow, as she was the most highly ranked female on Pukenui from a genetic point of view, because she doesn't have many relatives. She's survived, though, by several genetically valuable chicks, and these have been successfully cross-fostered into nests on Whenua Hau. The team is still waiting to hear a diagnosis for Roha. She's... Still alive, she's still with us, but she is in a really poor shape. Um, she's very critically ill. So she's actually had a tube put into directly into her uh, stomach to feed her, so we can feed her and hopefully that extra nutrition will help her fight whatever she's fighting. Uh, but yeah, um, it's touch and go at the moment for Roha. Her chick is very stable, um, looking pretty good at this point. Since it seems very likely that Roha's CT scan will show aspergillosis, Deirdre and the team are wrestling with what this means. It's a really hard decision to, to make in terms of where to next. Our choices are either sit around and wait and see what happens or act in some measure 
which would result in some or most of the nests shutting down and you know that could be a really bad outcome if it's not the right call as well because we really really want the chicks to be reared in the nests naturally with their mothers we've got some indication looking at data from previous years that uh, hand rearing may um, reduce fertility in males later in life so the last thing we want to do is to impact on kākāpō uh, and their population 20, 30 years down the track by hand-rearing a whole lot of birds when we don't have to. But we know we can safely hand-rear birds as well, uh, and there's a risk in leaving them in the nest, so we're in a bit of a conundrum at the moment. And I guess our thoughts at the moment are that where we have nests with two chicks, we have the option of pulling one chick, sending it off to be CT scanned, and if it's all clear, returning it to the nest without having lost that nest. So that's a step that we're considering but yeah it's it's all minds to the <laughs> to the job at the moment trying to work that one through a couple of nights later i joined deirdre for a chick check at one of the ladies of the lake nests this is hoturu's nest yeah and who's she got in with her she has marion a1 and pearl a3 which was an egg that we transferred here from finuaho Hauturu had infertile eggs this year. So her nest is a beautiful hole in the base of... I think it might be a tōtara. I think it might be a tōtara, okay. And you've added a bit of extra protection. We've just cut a wee hole in the side of the nest so that we can safely access the chicks Mm. because they're a bit too difficult to pull out the main entrance. So yeah, she pops in and out like Alice in Wonderland, doesn't she? Is there something wrong with your leg or are you just being a bit silly? I don't think things are quite right there. They do sometimes get injuries in the nest. We've had a young chick with a broken leg this year. Mm. Yeah, we've definitely got an issue with this right leg. Mm. Hasn't put on much weight at all in the last four days. I think we'll be taking this one home with us tonight, unfortunately. Get it some pain relief and make sure it's getting some good food. Mm. Uh, And it will go off on Wednesday to get some treatment for that leg. I know, you want to go back in the nest with your sibling. Carefully carrying Marion A1, Deidre heads back to base where she'll make the chick comfortable until it can be seen by a vet. It'll be helicoptered off the island in a day's time along with six chicks that the team has decided will be sent off for precautionary aspergillosis scanning. The nests that the chicks come from will remain active, so they can be returned there if they get a clean bill of health. On my way back to the base in the middle of the night, I pause on top of the island to listen to the male kumi. He's still booming in the vain hope that there might be a female wanting to mate with him. But honestly, he'll have to wait another two or three years before there's another breeding season and he gets another chance. By then, who knows how hands-off kākāpō management might be. So what's happened since I left Pukanui? Roha did have a serious case of aspergillosis, 
although she does have some healthy lung tissue still. She was transferred from the Dunedin Wildlife Centre to Auckland Zoo for treatment and continues to fight for her life. Marion A1 had a broken leg, just as Deirdre suspected. The broken tibia has been repaired and the chick is recovering well. Five of the six chicks that were flown off when I left were scanned and found free of aspergillosis. They were returned to their nests the following week. One chick had a suspected aspergillosis lesion and is being treated. A further six chicks have since been scanned, all are healthy and all are back home. That's great news, but the Kakapo team remains on high alert, monitoring and hoping that no more birds will come down with the dreaded fungal disease. The Kakapo population overall has dipped to 197 birds. This follows the death of two males, Wanma and Jester. Causes of death? Unknown. But on the bright side, the oldest chicks on Pukanui, Anchor Island, are already fledging and leaving the nest, although they'll still be fed by their mums for a few more months. And barring any major setbacks, the kākāpō population will pass the 250 mark when this year's chicks graduate to being grown up. That's great news. Kia ora, Alison. Alison Balance went to Pukanui, Anchor Island with the Kākāpō recovery team from the Department of Conservation. A big thanks to manager Deirdre Verco, scientist Andrew Digby, rangers Michael Mitchell and Scott Latimer, and volunteers Tui Wagstaff and Enhiki Barbosa. This episode was produced by Alison Balance and sound engineering was by Phil Bench. Check out our webpage at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld for photos of the island and some cute kakapo chicks. On the webpage, also have a look under the Collections tab for the Voice of the Kakapo series. Made by Alison, it's a beautifully curated journey through the 2019 breeding season. I highly recommend it. Remember, the best way to keep up to date with the show is to follow it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And you can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter, where we are at RNZ Science. Or sign up to our monthly newsletter on the webpage. I'm Claire Kincannon. Thanks so much for listening. Kia pai, tō wiki.